All right. So, uh, hey, folks, welcome to the Battles of the First World War podcast. Um, the passing of a century and other events uh, has worked to create and solidify the legend of Sergeant Alvin York, where the story goes that York single-handedly, or nearly so, took on the German army, killed some 25 enemy soldiers, and then captured 132 more. More recently, the story has been garnering attention for the fact that 16 other men were part of and present for what is known as the York Patrol. Uh, I'm joined here today by a uh, former journalist, and correct me if I'm wrong, Mr. Nelson, um, former journalist and now author James Carl Nelson, here right. to discuss right. his latest book, The York Patrol, <laughs> the real story of Alvin York and the un unsung heroes who made him World War I's most famous soldier. The York Patrol is but the latest book to cover the ongoing legend of Sergeant York, perhaps America's most famous doughboy of World War One. Uh, Mr. Nelson, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Uh, so I'm going to just share that, that book cover here so folks can see it. And there we go. All right. Um, so, Mr. Nelson, I just gave you the barest of introductions. Um, so I think we, we can open up. Could you tell us a little bit more about yourself, your, your professional background and, and, and such? Yeah, I mean, I was a journalist for uh, 34 years, something like that. But while I was still working as a journalist, I wrote three books about World War I. The first was uh, The Remains of Company D, which is about my grandfather's unit in the 1st Division. And it was actually 103 years ago yesterday that he was shot through the abdomen at the, during the Battle of Soissons as he was <clears throat> excuse me, advancing on the village of Poissy. Uh, my next book, Five Lieutenants, grew out of uh, my research for... Um, Remains of Company D. And I wrote a proposal to do a, a standalone book just on the Battle of Soissons, and my agent, Jim Hornfisher, uh, had written some books about the, the uh, naval Navy in World War II, and he recognized the name Clifton Cates, who was a Marine lieutenant during Soissons. And he plucked that out and said, well, why don't you do a biography of him? And it evolved into just really an account of Cates' actions during World War I, which was the most interesting, because he was kind of a wild maniac and he almost got killed about a hundred times and while uh, up wearing yeah. a, uh, a blanket during one engagement uh yeah right yeah and uh the fourth book was the it was the polar bear expedition about the invasion of uh northern russia by the 339th uh, infantry regiment in 1918-1919 and that that was based on a query from peter hubbard um at harper collins who just had a link to a world war one.com story and I started looking into it and wrote a proposal. So that came out in 2019. And then this one, The York Patrol, is my fifth book about America in World War I. So, all right, really cool. Um, so as you're saying, like your, your grandfather was a doughboy 103 years ago. He was, he was wounded. All the books are, are, all of your books are centered around World War I. Like, is this your primary interest in history or is, is this, from the way you've also spoken, is this just the way things have kind of taken you? Yeah, it's just the kind of way it went, uh, starting with that first book. Uh, yeah. And, you know, I really, I like researching and writing about that era. I mean, I think it's been underserved, uh, even though you know, the, the war for America was not four years long, it was less than a year, basically. But I think there's a lot of untold stories in there. Um, and obviously, York is not one of them. <laughs> it's one of the more, more known stories. Yeah. Uh, in fact, my... Jim Hornfisher, my agent, who sadly passed away last month, 
um, have been trying to get me to write a book about York for, for years. Because I think when people think of World War One, they think of Bella Wood and they think of Sergeant York if they don't know anything else. And so he was so it kindly finally got around to uh, doing that book. So cool. Cool. So, well, so can you talk to us a little bit more about like the, the York patrol? Um, what, like what, what, like what, I guess go into the details of what really brought you into uh, writing it and, and what are you bringing to the story that's different from previous works on, on Sergeant York? Um, yeah, my first book, The Remains of Company D, is what I did is I tried to run down uh, as many of the guys who had served with my grandfather as I could and present their stories. And I wound up with, uh, you know, eight to 12 good stories, guys within the patrol uh, or in the, in the, uh, that company. Um, this company D of the 28th Infantry First Division. And when I presented a list of maybe next book ideas to, to Jim Hornfisher, he, <laughs> true to form, plucked out why don't you do remains of the company D on the York patrol? Um, and, uh, and, it, and also what spawned that was I did some, a story for uh, Ed Lengel. He did a compendium of the Muse Argonne and I did right. heroes of the Argonne. And it struck me that on October 8th, 1918, 13 different individuals performed actions that earned them the medal of honor, including York. And so my, my, I was saying, why not do a book about that day, you know, day of heroes or whatever you would call it, something like that. Um, so that was part and parcel to it. Um, so we wound up, you know, the, the the goal was to flesh out the other members, like you say, the other 16 uh, who were with York. Six of them died uh, on that site. And a lot of people don't know that, which is almost half the patrol got wiped out. Um, and just sort of try to focus as much as it could on who these guys were and what happened to them, which was my my uh, going concern for the remains of Company D. That's the question I kept asking. Who was this guy? What happened to him? So interesting really cool um so uh my next question is is we're going to start getting into um kind of the 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 story of sergeant york so i'm going to take a moment and i'm just going to hone in uh i'm going to bring up the google maps um so for you folks listening to the podcast um uh there is a, a zoom video presentation and you'll see on google maps where uh where <laughs> chatel sherry is located and we're, i'm going to try and zoom right into the area where um, Sergeant York was was operating. So bear with me just a second. There we go. Okay, so right now we've got the, so you, you can see the screen okay, sir? Uh, yeah. Cool. Yeah. So. Overall, so in the bottom right-hand corner, just as a reference point, you've got Verdun. I'm going to see if uh, my cursor is right here. We move to the northwest. There's a big splotch of green. That's the Argonne Forest, folks. And then this red area, this is Chatel Cherry. Uh, this is the small village and its um, company and domain, its lands. Um, and we're going to go ahead and zoom in on that. And then as you guys can see here, there's already a Sergeant York historic trail popping up. It's a very uh, pretty well-known tourist uh, destination, especially for, for um, remembrance tourism in, in the Meuse Argonne. And then just right here. So as you guys can see, it's a pretty small village. Um, this area right here on my, uh, with my cursor, this is Hill 244, kind of hard to tell. Up to the north, right where it does say the Sergeant York historic trail, that is Hill 223, says it right there. 
So this is the approximate area of where York was uh, operating that day with with the York Patrol. Mr. Yeah, Nelson, it was it was kind of south southeast of or southwest of uh, Chateau Chery. Um, yeah, the historic trail. Sorry, I think it's in the wrong spot, but you know, I've heard that before as well. I went there two years ago and uh, right away knew that I was in the right spot, and it's not where he's got it. So, sure. So what? Um, what's the so if for those folks who are listening who have maybe never heard of Sergeant York, um, what are like the? Could could you give us a, a brief recounting of the events? Yeah. Okay. Right well. Okay, so the Meuse-Argonne offensive jumped off on uh, September 26, 1918. Nine divisions basically heading north. On the far left was the 77th Division. Then to its right was the 28th Division. And on the right bank of the air was the 35th Division. For bus, uh, started meeting stiffening resistance. So uh, the 35th Division stopped and was actually routed and pulled out of line and replaced by the 1st Division which resumed the advance on the right bank of the air on uh, October 4th, made headway for two days. And the 77th and 28th divisions also were fighting to advance to its left. Um, there came, the first division encountered heavy artillery coming from the heights um, to the Northwest and kind of stymied their advance. And so they were seeking for some way. And at the same time, the lost, uh, the, the lost battalion, right? We have to talk about that to the West, the lost battalion, uh, kind of got ahead of the, the main force of the 77th Division, Whittlesey, and were surrounded in early October and uh, were, uh, you know, they were attacked with flamethrowers and grenades. And I mean, they were just getting decimated. So there was two things that w- needed to be done. One was try to save the Lost Battalion. Um, and the other was to reduce the guns that were uh, preventing the further advance up the Air Valley. So the, uh, this idea was hatched that to send a uh, division from the east uh, below the 1st Division and across the front of the 28th Division and uh, ban out and take the guns and save the Lost Battalion. And so the division that was chosen was the 82nd Division, which was Alvin York's division. Mm-hmm. And uh, on October 7th, the uh, 164th Brigade began fighting out of Chateau Chery, fighting west. It took Hill 180 um, and the, uh, uh, should say the 328th Regiment and 327th Regiment. Took one Hill 80, got uh, kind of uh, stymied on Hill 223, as you mentioned. Um, then, then, so the next day, the 2nd Battalion of the 328th, which contained York again, began to advance again uh, at six o'clock in the morning on October 8th, 1918, ran into withering, I know it's a cliche, but withering resistance from the front Mm -hmm. and especially from the left. And so uh, Bernard Early's patrol, uh, or I should say platoon, whatever you want to call it, was selected to try to go to the left across uh, Hill 244 and reduce the machine guns that were holding up the advance. And that's what happened, and that's why they, that was called the York Patrol, and that became the reason that uh, York is famous for the action that ensued. And now, um, Sergeant uh, Bernard Early was was wounded early mm-hmm. on, and uh, yeah, what happened was they they kind of came up behind these Germans. They kind of surprised them. They didn't even know they were there, and they kind of like <laughs> they looked at each other. It was a force of about ninety Germans or so. Nobody's ever come up with a specific amount. Um, kind of paused, looked at each other, 
Uh, the Americans fired a few shots, said surrender. And they said, sure. We're surrendering. Uh, there's a shout from a, a ridgeline above, and uh, more withering machine gun fire uh, came from that top of the ridge, and instantly six of the Americans in the patrol were killed. Bernard Early was wounded. Otis Murthy was wounded. I think Mario Muzzy was very slightly wounded, um, Italian immigrant in the patrol. And they basically had to hit the dirt, eat grass, and they crouched behind these prisoners that they had been disarming trying to stay low, because Germans didn't want to kill all their men either. And York kind of found himself in the middle of all this. And, you know, the legend is that, uh, you know, as told that he just, every time he saw a German pop up, it was a good shot, crack shot from Tennessee. He just touched him off, as he put it, and he shot him and shot him. Finally, um, there was a bayonet charge of about six men came tumbling down the hill towards York. And beginning from the from the back on the left, um, he began shooting one, two, three, four, five, six, and finally put a bullet in Fritz Andrus's, the lieutenant's stomach. And that unnerved the German commander so much that he said, look, if you stop, stop, we'll surrender again, basically. That's the story. That's the legend. And uh, by the time they got back to the 328th headquarters, other prisoners had, that they had been picked up by the other companies of the 328th came uh, with this group of Germans. And so the final count was 132 German prisoners and uh, somewhere around 20 to 25 Germans dead. Now, uh, York was not the only one shooting in that little valley. Um, uh, Percy Beardsley had a show-show gun, a French light machine gun. He was shooting. Um, others were firing back. But by their testimony, most of them say, well, I was crouching behind the prisoners. I couldn't really see what was going on. They were spread out. It was pretty thick woods back there. Um, so York, in the end, uh, got the balance of the credit, as it's, it's been reported. And now uh, the German lieutenant, one of the German lieutenants, uh, Paul Fulmer, like he, he apparently, <laughs> this was new to me, like he apparently tried to shoot at York. Um, during this engagement, like he was, um, was he like shooting his pistol? No, it wasn't, it wasn't Fulmer. What was his name? Um, he was, yeah, he was a lieutenant. They called him a captain or a major, uh, as, as subsequently. I'd have to look him up. Mm -hmm. He emptying his pistol at York. York didn't even know it. And the guy was a pretty bad shot. So uh, right. when he yeah. did surrender his pistol, there was, there were no bullets left in it. But yeah, York was lucky to uh, not get hit. Yeah. So he's shooting. York's oblivious because he's shooting at Germans. This guy's shooting at him. And yeah, so it was, it was pretty crazy. Wow. So um, obviously, again, this is kind of for, for uh, uh, the audience to, to whom this story is new. Like why are, um, I, I believe at the time he was known as, as acting Corporal York. Like why, why were his actions so important? Like why, what, I mean, yes. Uh, yeah, well, well, that's something I think, you know, has, has not gone noted enough because um, after they took their prisoners, and I, I, I got to credit everybody, including the ones who died uh, in, in that little ravine there. Um, the Germans along the line, knowing what was going on, uh, began sort of pulling back um, from the front and to the north of where the York Patrol was, the 328th. Uh, regiment, companies uh, E and G, no, e and, e and F, I think, uh, were continuing to try to fight their way west to get to the 
the Cowville Railroad, which was supplying the Argonne Forest. And because of the collapse of that left flank on that portion of the front, they were able to advance and cut the railroad. And the next day, the Germans began pulling out of the Argonne in general. They didn't just run away, but they started a fighting withdrawal from the Argonne. Now, I don't think that's got enough credit for the York Patrol to have turned the flank, basically collapsed that flank cause the, the retreat from the Argonne. So that's what I think it's very important. It's not just a, a numbers game where somebody captured 132 guys. It had a real lasting effect in the war. Right. Cool. So um, again, like later in, in the, the 1920s, when um, uh, Sergeant York's actions uh, are now famous and now worldwide, I believe in your book, you noted it was a, a Swedish journal or newspaper wrote about it. Um, apparently, uh, Sweden being closer to, to Germany, the, the Germans noticed and uh, they, they took some issue with, with the, the, yeah. the, of the York. Well, there was, a, there was a German national living in, in Stockholm, I guess. Okay. And the Swedish, and you know, this is not the first time this had happened because, you know, York, when his word got around his story, you know, his heroism, he was singled out and became this huge sensation worldwide, especially in the United States. And, and it all boiled down to single soldier captures battalion, you know, basically thing. So the Swedish newspaper story was similar, uh, that the single guy had captured 100 plus German soldiers. And you can imagine when that word of that got back to Berlin, I don't know if they hadn't seen the American coverage of it, but they're like, hey, wait a minute, no way one American soldier could capture 130 German soldiers. So they began an investigation. They rode away to these different uh, surviving German uh, soldiers who had been in that ravine, uh, been captured, um, asked for their take on what happened. And in an attempt to discredit York and to give credit to their men. So uh, that was basically that. That was a numbers game. There's like no way that the German soldiers would surrender in mass to one guy. Understood. And in fact, they didn't. There, was, there were, you know, 10 men, uh, 11 men who survived uh, that patrol that day. Okay. Now, did, um, are there, I didn't have this, but this is kind of making me think, are, are, there, are there any men from that action on the German side who, who escaped capture? Are those the, the 10 or 11 you're mentioning? No, I'm talking about the, the 11 men were, were the, the York patrol survivors because there were six killed and there were 17 York. With the oh, others. okay. The Americans. Yeah. And um, yeah, I'm sure there were plenty of Germans didn't get captured that day, but in that immediate area, uh, elements of different regiments uh, of the German army were captured. Cool. Um. One thing, so before I, I get into the other members of the York Patrol, so um, like you mentioned um, in your book and as the story goes, so York becomes famous, you know, um, America um, needed a hero um, at the end of World War I, and York, um, whether he wanted to or not, he, he became America's most famous doughboy. Um, what was York like, like as a person? Because I find this interesting, post-war, he... Like he was very um, particular in how he would use the story. He he would say often, as you note in your book, like the the uniform isn't for sale. Mm -hmm. But he, yeah, would, well, he would talk about it. Like you know, he became, 
go ahead. A big element of the story was that York had been a, had tried to be a conscientious objector. Mm-hmm. He later said, no, I just wanted them to tell me what this was, this war was all about. Um, but he was, you know, from this uh, religious fundamentalist Christian sect, small in the small village in uh, Eastern Tennessee. And George Patillo with the Saturday Evening Post uh, was covering the war in France and got wind of uh, York's story about how one guy uh, who, who had wanted to be a conscientious objector captured 132 men and killed 25 more. He wrote a story, uh, it, it appeared in the Saturday Evening Post on uh, I think it was April 26, 1919, before York even got home. And it had a circulation of 2 million uh, copies and he, he became a sensation that the rest of the American press picked up the story worldwide. It picked up the story. Um, but yeah, York was, you know, he, he was, he was a hick. He was a hick from, uh, from Tennessee. He'd never even been out of Fentress County before he got drafted and sent down to Georgia for a camp Gordon for training. So yeah, he's a very, you know, simple man. And, and, but he had, he had his, uh, his credo. He said, yeah, the uniform's not for sale because he was offered movies, do a newspaper column, whatever, uh, all sorts of things he turned down uh, until later in life. He finally agreed to uh, do some media, do some books, hoping that the attention would help him fund. He's trying to build these schools locally. And so that became uh, uh, his life passion. He didn't really have a job. but So he, there was a, a book came out, um, a small book, uh, and then a bigger book came out, his war diary. Is that really his war diary? There's really nothing to it. Um, it's kind of folksy. And, you know, these days it's hard to read. It's just like it's done in his dialect, his patois. And he sounds stupid in it. And even he says, we don't talk like that, you know. <laughs> uh, but that got did better. It made him some money. Mm-hmm. And, of course, the movie came along in 1941. Uh, Gary Cooper played Sergeant York, right. won an Academy Award. And that, you know, re what's the word, reintroduced Sergeant York, Alan York, to the American public. And that was also right before World War II. And so it was used as kind of a, uh, you know, patriotic uh, recruiting thing. There, there, there are stories about young guys who go see the movie and then walk out and go re, uh, join the Marines or the, the Army or whatever. Wow. Um, so now we've got York here. And then what, what's your take on on the other members of, of the York Patrol and like all of well, them or, or any in particular that, that um, kind of resonate with you or, you or know, that, that I, in your mind. I write about that. It's unavoidable. It's part of the story. It's just that uh, there was a lot of resentment of York and they felt like they didn't get their due credit at all or any credit really at all. You know, Bernard early was kind of quiet about it, but uh, he let friends through friends, let it be known that, you know, the way it's being portrayed in the press is not really how it went down. We were more involved in it. Uh, Otto, Otis Merrithew, who was a corporal, he was also, he was wounded uh, in that fight. He became more forceful over the years about uh, telling uh, that what, what York did was not a solo act, if nothing else. They wanted some credit. And eventually Bernard Early got a distinguished service, I think in 1929. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it took 40, 50 years for Otis Merrithew to get a silver star, but they did get some acknowledgement. Um, but yeah, there was some resentment, and there were others in the patrol too. There was an, I, I don't know, I don't know if it's true or not. I, I talked to the guy's grandson. Uh, the story, story was supposedly one night, a few of these guys were sitting around drinking, and they decided 
they wanted to go kill York. So they're going to drive down to Tennessee and wow. kill him. But somebody talked them out of it. It was not a real good idea. Um, but yeah, there's resentment, as you can imagine, you know, so. Yeah. Now, but I, I, still, I still think that York, in my mind, uh, deserved the greater part of the credit. I think he was instrumental in, in saving most of the men of that patrol and extricating them from the situation they were in. And I got our, our kind of our, our final question here is like um, going back to that Sergeant York film. So how much did that film uh, starring Gary Cooper, um, how much did that do in kind of creating and, and perpetuating this legend of Sergeant York? Cause I, I have to admit, like, I, I haven't seen the entire film. I've only seen bits and pieces of it, but of course I have seen the part where, um, uh, Sergeant York, as played by Gary Cooper in the film, is he's he's doing the the turkey calls. Oh yeah, the yeah. Well, that was, and you know, and he's killing them. That was off. that was fiction. Yeah, that was right. Yeah, that was that was a lot of. You know, I've I've been watching that movie since I was a kid. Uh, it was on uh, the Family Classics on Sunday afternoon in Chicago, like at least twice a year when I was a kid. Um, but yeah, there was there was a lot of embellishments, including the the famed yeah supposedly believe what. Ooh, gobble, 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 and German pops up his head and he shoots and that, that was baloney. Also, I mean, there's just other things if you know, you know, he's got this, it's really bombed out trenches. It was, it was open country. It was, had not been a lot of fighting there. There were no trenches. Um, and uh, trying to think of uh, other areas, you know, overall, I think the whole sequence of how he actually you know, killed and captured these men is blatantly wrong. You know, it's far more dramatic. In one episode in the film, he's like, there's a line of Germans either side of a trench and he just shoots from, shoots one, another, another. I think that was the, maybe an extension of the, the bayonet charge story that, you know, shot from left to right. Um, but, you know, the elements of uh, his, his uh, conscientious uh, status, uh, his, his objection to the war, is wanting to know what it was about. Those things were true. Um, you know, and just, I think Cooper did a pretty good job of portraying York in my mind. Okay. Like portraying him personally. Yeah. I think he kind of caught his demeanor. I think, you know, I don't think York was an excitable guy and he, you know, he wasn't real educated at all. He had like three years of education. So that came, that came through you know, who the guy was. Right. I did. I did. Um, pick up on that in the book in that, you know, like, again, um, Sergeant York um, had, had never left his county before going off to war. It's much like um, the, the stories I hear about my, my grandfather grew up in um, rural Portugal. And, and I guess he spent his whole life, never really traveled probably more mm -hmm. than 50 miles in his life. And it's just the way it was. It's common. Um, yeah. Um, but there is this thing uh, that like York did recognize, I think part of his overseas travel and everything did kind of leave him with the sense that um, <coughs> kids, the, the kids in his, in his hometown County, like that, they did need an education because yeah, he, he it really it, pushed. It, you know, he went to England, he went to France, obviously. And, and then uh, <clears throat> he, after the armistice, they, they sent him all over the place and uh, it opened his eyes he was backward and he had no idea that, uh, you know, people, he met educated people, you know, maybe not that much within the patrol because most people at that age, I mean, my grandfather got a seventh grade, you know, um, but he got like York, got like three years total. And that's over the course of his childhood and teens, you know, 
Uh, but yeah, it would open up his eyes to, to the notion that, you know, we don't have to live this in this backwater stagnation. We can teach our children and they can do better. And so that became the impetus for him wanting to build these schools. Um, and uh, I've been then the rest of his life was spent trying to fund those schools. And he was terrible with money. He actually uh, wound up in trouble with the IRS because he made quite a bit of money from the York film. Yeah, I think a couple hundred thousand dollars. And then he didn't pay taxes on, on a lot of that. He just said, no, I sent you enough. <laughs> you know, I'm not going to send you anymore. And it was in the 1950s that are by a resolution, uh, he was forgiven his debt to the IRS. But he was, you know, he was pretty poor. He was lousy with money. And uh, he, he, he didn't really gain many much materially from his notoriety. I have to say, in the end, it might, really, I think if you catch the theme of my book, it seems kind of like be careful what you, you wish for. I don't think he I don't think he wanted or enjoyed the fame that was thrust upon him. So cool. Cool. All right. Well, let me just put that. Um, I'm going to put that cover right back on one more time. And all right, folks. So we have this is the book, The York Patrol. You guys can see it right here. So, again, the title is The York Patrol, the real story of Alvin York and the unsung heroes who made him World War One's most famous soldier by James Carl Nelson. Uh, all right, here is the book. And let me just stop the share. Mr. Nelson, thank you so much for, for taking the time out of your day here to, to come on this, this podcast. Uh, greatly, greatly appreciated. Thank you. So yeah, you're much. welcome. It was fun. Thanks so much. All right.